Welcome to the Design Doctor Podcast, where we talk about how to decorate, remodel, or build a home without losing your mind. I'm your host, Krisha Palmer, physician turned interior designer and life coach. So come on in and have a seat. Let's talk. Hey friends, welcome back. I hope you had a wonderful holiday. I can't believe it's over. Well, almost over. This is like that weird week where I think this is coming out during the weird week in between Christmas and New Year's where I forget like what day it is, what time it is. It's very disorienting for some reason, but since this is the last episode of this year, I thought I would use it to feature some of the best moments from the Design Doctor podcast. I went back and I just chose clips, some of my favorite clips from previous episodes that you all told me uh, really helped you a lot, ones that stood out to me, and I think it'll be nice to be able to listen to these kind of back-to-back all in one episode. So... Here are some of the best moments from this year from the Design Doctor podcast. So I want to give you a set of questions to ask yourself and to ask whoever it is you're working with, whether it be a subcontractor or a contractor, to help move the conversation along towards a solution. All right, because that's that's the goal, right? Not to figure out whose fault it is or where things went wrong. It's just to fit, let's get to a solution, right? So here's question number one. I would ask, are there codes involved? Because sometimes there is, okay? Sometimes something le- legitimately cannot be done because it interferes with some type of residential building code. So uh, clarify that, first of all, is this a code issue, If it is, you're probably not going to have a whole lot of room to move around. But if it isn't, then you've got definitely some more flexibility. Question number, is the issue that it can't be done or is it that it's just harder to do? More time consuming, right? That's an important thing to clarify. And I would ask, can this not be done at all or is it just harder? Is there a way? Okay, another question that will stimulate that conversation towards a solution is, Is this something that can't be done or is it that it can be done? It'll just be more expensive. A lot of the times that's the case. You've been quoted a certain amount and they're trying to stay within that budget. And so when you request something maybe that is more complicated, that would require more work, more material, more expertise, it should and does cost more, right? But you want to have that option knowing going into it if I want this and it's important to me, I'm willing to pay for it. So I would ask that question, can it not be done or is it just more expensive to do? Another question that you can ask is, if it could be fixed, how would it be fixed? And then the last question I would ask is, what can be done about this? Instead of this can't, you know, just accepting that this can't be done, ask, how could this be fixed? So when we are kind of keeping color in mind on the front end of our decorating process, most of the time we think about what colors we like or dislike and we think about what colors are trending. But there's a much better way to think about color. And that's what we're going to explore in this episode. So when you're thinking about color, instead of just limiting it to, you know, what colors do I like or dislike and what colors are trending, I want you to ask yourself two very important questions. 
And here they are. Number one, how do I want this room to feel? And number two, what am I going to be using this room for? Now you might be wondering and thinking to yourself, oh, why do I need to think about how I want the room to feel and what I want to use it for? I just want a color that looks pretty. But good design is about so much more than just looking pretty. Our environments have a huge impact on our sense of well-being, our mood, and our productivity. It's been well studied and documented in design psychology literature, and a huge part of that impact is color. So in this episode, we're exploring the psychology of color that we use in our homes and how it affects us, because choosing colors is about so much more than just how it looks. So why have things changed so much? How did we go from making very well-constructed, built-to-last furniture to creating furniture that was designed to be thrown away in a few years? Why is it so different now? Why has furniture changed so much? A lot of what we see now with mass furniture manufacturing and what I call big box furniture stores. So these these are stores like Pottery Barn, West Elm, uh, Wayfair, Crate and Barrel, all of what I call big box furniture stores, they have very high overhead. And they often rely on cheap labor and poor quality materials to keep their costs down so that they can increase their profit margin. So from a business standpoint, it actually makes perfect sense. I read an article about a man named Michael Brotman, who is designed for multiple uh, companies like this. He recently quit to open his own furniture studio, and he kind of gave, in this article, he gave some behind-the-scenes secrets about working at these places, and he says, quote, without giving away any secrets, I guess he tried not to give away secrets, he says, without giving away any secrets, their margins are high, and their quality is not good at all. I had a big discount working there. I didn't buy anything. Most of these companies build their furniture in China and Southeast Asia because labor is cheap there. To lower their cost even more, most of it has to be assembled because they're trying to decrease the cost of shipping. One journalist from the New York Post interviewed Coco Ree Limery, who is a furniture designer who has worked for Pottery Barn in West Elm and now is a visiting professor of furniture design at Purdue. I've linked the article in the show notes, but Coco says, quote, the whole industry has just changed so dramatically. She talks about uh, when she would design pieces that are, were going to cost a little bit more to make. Uh, And of course, you know, when you produce a piece of furniture that costs more to make, that cost is going to be passed down to the consumer. Those pieces are more expensive. She says that her employers would basically take them out of production very quickly. She says that her most successful products that they actually produced always had the biggest profit margin and therefore the lowest cost. Well, to get that cost really low, you've got to use very inexpensive labor and very inexpensive materials. She says, your work, quote, you are working so ruthlessly to keep the price, that initial cost low. When you get back the drawing from overseas, whether that's India or China or Indonesia, you're reworking the drawings to make them cheaper, or you are saying, can we substitute this for this? 
so that I can get this product into a price point that the consumer is willing to pay. So that's what's happening behind the scenes of the production of all of the furniture from these big box fast furniture stores. The first thing I want to talk about is just kind of giving you my perspective and my opinion as an interior designer on pieces that I won't skip on. These are pieces that for myself, I would probably not purchase at one of the, you know, big box furniture retailers or what we call fast furniture manufacturers. Um, And the reason for that is that when I purchase these items, I want them to last. I don't want to have to replace them every five years and I want them to be really good quality. And these are really what I consider the workhorse pieces of furniture for my home and for most people's homes. So those would be sofas, really comfortable chairs that you use often. And I think there's a difference here. There's, you know, those comfortable chairs that you sit in all the time. And then you've also have like some accent chairs that are only used rarely when certain people come to visit family or friends. I think there's a difference there. So I would never skimp on sofas, comfortable chairs that you use often, bed, dining table and chairs, and coffee tables. Coffee tables because like they get a lot of traffic, right? We want something that's going to hold up. So tip number two, ask your partner to tell you how he or she really wants to feel in the room that you're working in. So many people don't care too much about the decorative elements or motifs For example, my husband doesn't really care uh, what color this chair is, (laughs) but he does care about how the space feels. So get really specific. How do you want this chair to feel? How do you want the sofa to feel? How do you want to be able to see the TV? Do you need a place for a drink? Have them think about their routine in that room, how they live in it on a day-to-day basis, and what would make it better, more efficient, or more comfortable. So instead of just focusing on, do you like this color? Do you like this chair? Really clarify and go into detail. How do you want to feel in the room? That's really going to enhance your communication and your ability to compromise. I see posts on social media almost every day. Someone will post a photo of an empty room or a room that they're in the process of redoing, but it doesn't have any of the new stuff in it. It's just their old stuff. And they'll ask, you know, what colors are in? What's everybody painting their home these days? What color should I paint this room? So obviously there's nothing wrong with asking this question. It's just that in order to give an informed, really good quality answer, We've got to have more information. And this, I think, is often the missing link, is we don't push further. We just start throwing out some good paint colors, or often the advice that's given is just good paint colors that have worked in that other person's house. For example, I might recommend Benjamin Moore's Ballet White. Is it a great color? I don't know. There's no such thing as a great color in and of itself. The question is, is it a great color for this space? That's the question that we really need to be asking. 
And the reason that you don't want to start off your whole design process by choosing your wall paint color first is that we don't yet have all of that information yet. So what is that other information that we need to make a good informed decision? Well, number one, and really the most important is that we need to know what's going to be in the room. And by that, I mean, what colors are in your furniture? What colors are in your rug, your pillows, your drapery, or anything else in the room? That's the most important question. But there are others, like how do you want your room to feel? Do you want to be really productive and be able to get a lot done in this space? Or do you want to sit back and relax with a cocktail at night? (laughs) Other questions are what direction does your room face and how much natural light does it get? So when we ask and attempt to answer this question of what paint color should I use on the walls in this room, and we try to answer it without all of this additional information, that's when we get into trouble. That's not to say that I'm trying to get you to make a decision to get the white sofa and have hardwood floors and do bold colors and use bold wallpaper. That's not the point. You may still decide to go with a safe, neutral color. You may still decide to go with the LVP versus hardwood. The process of making that decision from a place of abundance is going to be so much easier. And you'll know that that decision's coming from that place of abundance instead of from a place of fear. I will say that when we are really guided by this fear-based decision-making rather than coming from a place of abundance, the result is often a kind of boring, safe, bland design. Now, not always, but it happens a lot. I see people that are really afraid of things getting dirty, really afraid that things are going to be be hard to clean. They're afraid they're going to get tired of it. So every decision that they make is based on these fears. And so we choose the safe, neutral beige paint color, We choose the safe sofa with the safe fabric. We choose the safe flooring. And when you combine decisions that are all like that, you end up with kind of a boring, safe design. And guess what the result is? You get tired of it because it's boring and it's safe. Now, there's nothing wrong with that if you're like that. But what I want to do is just get you to get curious about those fears, to question them. You may make the same, you, the outcome may be the same. You may still choose to do those same things, but it can come from a different place. And finally, my last tip is in reference to painting. So never judge a newly painted room that's empty. <laughs> it is always a shock <laughs> because you're not used to it. And when you put furnishings and rugs and window treatments and other things in a room, it can totally change what you perceive that color to look like. So I'm not saying that you'll always, you know, end up liking it. You may not, but don't pass judgment until everything's in the space. I hope you've enjoyed the best moments from this year, some of the best moments anyway, and I hope you found them helpful. 
I've been in the midst of planning all the topics for 2024. If you have any specific questions or any specific topics you'd like to hear about, please shoot me an email. My email is Krisha, that's K-R-I-C-I-A at Krisha.com. I would love to know. And in the meantime, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your year and I'll see you next year. If you're a woman physician who loves all things design and decorating, be sure to check out my private Facebook group, House Calls for Physicians, or you can visit my website at www.housecallsforphysicians.com.